Welcome to the Vu Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. continues our collection of talks. Seven, Revelations of Jesus for His Church. In this message, Under Pressure, we learn of the church in Smyrna and how their faithfulness produced pressure. We often think our pressure is a result of our failure, but could it be that pressure is present to prove and improve our faith? For more resources, check out vuchurch.com slash seven. Now let's lean into the message together. Today we are uh, continuing a collection of talks that we launched last Sunday entitled Seven. And uh, we are looking at the seven churches of Revelation. Someone say, bring it on. And we're just studying the first three chapters of Revelation where there are seven specific messages given to seven different churches. Uh, last week, we looked at the church of Ephesus and we taught a message entitled Lost Love. And um, I, I keep saying this because I think it's really important that just as we're studying our Bible that we get good context. Um, I want you to see to this map because every one of these places, this was a real place. And as we look at Asia Minor back then, it was really what we have today as modern day Turkey. And today we're looking at the, the, the second church, which is the church of Smyrna. Everyone say Smyrna. And we're, we're gonna talk about that church today. And I, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter two. Uh, we're gonna start in verse eight. And as you are turning there, let's just get a little bit of context of where we were at last week and what we already know. Uh, we know that there is intense persecution hitting the church of Jesus Christ. We know that the Roman Empire is a global power at this moment. There is a, an emperor or a Caesar on the throne. His name is Domitian, and he has intensified the persecution. There's a thing in Rome at this time called um, Caesar worship that they were actually calling the emperors a god. And the apostle John refuses to bow his knee to the emperor. And because of it, he is exiled to a prison island known as Patmos. John is probably in his mid eighties. Many theologians believe that before this took place, he was boiled almost to the point of death. So more than likely, there's a good idea that he's on this island known as Patmos with kind of like cloth, almost looking like a mummy as he writes the revelation. And what is the revelation? It's not just some abstract revelation. He gets a clear picture of the glorious resurrected Jesus. And he sees him and he describes what he sees. And one of the things he sees that I just think is so beautiful, it says that Jesus stood in the middle of the seven lampstands. The lampstands are the seven churches. And I just like that, that imagery of Jesus in the middle of all the churches. Isn't that good news today? That Jesus, he stands in the middle of all of his churches. He stands in the middle of this church, somebody said amen. And with it, he has a unique vantage point. That he sees you and he sees me and he knows what's going on. He gets past all of the external things that we project and he gets right into who we are. And so much of what we discover as Jesus begins to speak is he gets past the things that we're hiding and he gets to the heart of the matter. The church of Smyrna is an interesting one because what we discover as we read this message is that at times it can be very difficult to be a disciple of Jesus. And if we're not careful in our challenges, we can lose our love. And today I'm hoping that you're gonna gain some insight. And so let's pick up our text, Revelation chapter two, verse eight. If you're there, say, I'm there. City, you can say, I'm there. Somi, say, I'm there. Revelation chapter two, verse eight says this. 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear. Someone say, do not fear. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I wanna take this text today and I wanna preach part two of our collection seven. And I wanna preach from the subject under pressure. Uh, Under pressure. Cue the soundtrack from Queen. Pressure, I'm an out of me. Um, Okay, I'll stop. Um, Smyrna uh, is one of the most beautiful cities of its time in Asia Minor. In fact, it's called the crown of Asia. It was a hub for uh, science, philosophy, medicine. It was a very influential place. Uh, On top of that, as you study Smyrna, what you'll figure out is that it was always on the side of Rome and therefore it had a deep, deep allegiance to the Roman Empire. Therefore, this idea of Caesar worship was at an all-time high in Smyrna of all places. Now, I I, I like studying places. I like getting context. And I I discovered this not too long ago that Smyrna, uh, by definition, uh, it comes from the word myrrh. Everyone say myrrh. Now, myrrh was uh, a perfume that was put typically on bodies when they died. I find that to be really, really ironic, right? Because in many ways, this city, which signifies a place where Christians are being persecuted at an all-time high, many would say that Smyrna, the scent of myrrh, has the scent of death for Christians. But how many of y'all know, when Jesus was born, what was one of the gifts that the wise men brought? Myrrh. Meaning, the world says, we smell death. But the Christian says, nah, 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 nah. We smell life. Why? Because myrrh was put on the bodies of Christians who died, but myrrh was also brought to the baby Jesus. So many are saying, yo, it smells like something's dying, but we as Christians, no matter what we see, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. No, no, no. I smell someone being reborn. I smell life and life more abundantly. And so much of this letter to this church in Smyrna is an encouragement to all of us who are following Jesus. Because many of you, you have been walking through obstacles and challenges. You have been walking through pain. And many of you have friends that are in the world and they would look at you like Job's friends and say, you ought to curse God and die. I smell death. But you can stand with both feet on the ground and say, I don't smell death, I smell life. So here comes Jesus with this word to the church in Smyrna. And just notice how he, how he starts. And I just think it's important today, this collection, so much of it is a Bible study, so I will try to refrain a little bit from preaching, but I feel it today, so we will see if I can be honest to that. But notice as it kicks off right there in verse eight, to the church in Smyrna, to the, to the church of Myrrh, to the church that smells like the world would say death, but I'm reminded of baby Jesus who's born. It smells like life and life more abundantly. What does he say? He says, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. 
the first and last. What is Jesus doing? Jesus, right from the beginning, is reminding John to tell the people, yo, I am God. Okay, I died and I came back to life. I had a war with death and I won. I'm the first and the last. What is this language, first and last? He, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. I could show you many scriptures, but here's just one, Isaiah 41, four. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. So Jesus is quoting Isaiah, who speaks on behalf of God, who is God, the first and the last. So in many ways, Jesus is trying to come to them in their persecution, in their challenges, in their pain, and he is reminding them that you are not held together. Your life is not boundaried and bracketed by the rise and fall of Rome, by the rise and fall of America. It's not boundaried and bracketed by your promotion at work, your diagnosis from the doctor. No, your life is boundaried and bracketed by the person of Jesus. In the old days, when um, men were developing maps, so much of the world was unknown. And so you can go back and you can study history when they were creating maps, they would come to places that they had never been to before and all of a sudden their imagination would take a hold of them and they would write things on the unknown areas of the map. They would say things like, here be dragons. Or they'd go to another area and say, here be fiery sands. What's powerful and beautiful about those that follow Jesus Christ is you can take every unknown area of your life and you can write over the map of your life, here be Christ. Here be Jesus. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. If you believe it today, come on somebody, give God some praise. He's the beginning and the end. So he's encouraging this church, yo, I am the one who started it and I am the one who finished it. I have the first word and I will certainly have the last word and I even have the word in the middle right now in your pressure, in your pain and my word always brings life and life more abundantly. The world smells death, Woo! but I smell life today. I smell life. He says, I am the one who came back to life. I died, but now I am alive. Let that sink into your heart today. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? At the core, at the very, very heart of it, what's your deepest fear? I think many times we kind of just have general fear and we don't actually specify what it is that we're afraid of. Last night, um, I did a homegoing service. I did, I did a funeral for a friend of mine who passed away about four weeks ago. And I'm always reminded of that Jerry Seinfeld bit. Did you ever hear that? Where he talks about the idea that the greatest fear uh, at one point in America was public speaking. The second greatest fear was to die. Meaning the person who's giving the eulogy at the funeral, the guy in the casket is better off than the guy giving the eulogy, okay? <laughs> we all deal with different types of fear, but at the end of it, Death is the worst thing that could happen to us. 
And Jesus is just starting right here at the very beginning saying, I'm the first and the last, and I am the only one who has conquered death. You have nothing to fear if you follow me. I am holding your life together. Every unknown area, trust me. Trust me. And here he begins to encourage them. This is what Jesus says. Jesus starts out by defining who he is because my belief in God will show up in the way that I live for God. I believe Jesus is first and last. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. All right, now encourage me, Lord. I believe that to be my theology. What is it you would say right now to my situation? This is what Jesus says. I think it's beautiful. He says, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation. Can I encourage some people in a very practical way? While this was written 2,000 years ago, it's pretty pertinent and practical to your life tomorrow. He knows your tribulation. Isn't that good news? Like, like he knows it. I think some of us in this room today, if we're really being honest, it's not the pain that we're going through. It's doubling down on the pain that I'm going through, but I also feel like nobody sees my pain. Nobody notices what I'm going through. Nobody notices my tears. Nobody notices my heartache. Nobody notices anything until I make a mistake, actually. That's when everybody comes alive. But if you could hear me, I was crying out the entire time. God wants you to know that he sees you and he knows your pain. He sees it. He sees it. Now, I want to teach you a word that I, I taught you one last week. Maybe I'll try to bring a Greek word every week. I'm not a Greek theologian by any means, but I think it's helpful to understand how the original text was written. This word where he says, I know your tribulation, the Greek word is the word thalipsis. Everyone say thalipsis. This is a beautiful word because it's translated as the word pressure. Someone say pressure. And it's not even just pressure. Really, it's crushing pressure. The, the word picture that's associated with the word thalipsis when it was taught back then was a picture of a man with a boulder coming down on his chest, meaning that it was just crushing pressure, that the pressure was just crushing on the man. When Jesus says, I know you're crushing pressure, he's not just saying I know and I see you. He is also telling you that he actually knows all about Philipsis. He knows what it feels like to have crushing pressure on him. It was Isaiah who said he was pierced for our transgressions. He was what? Crushed for our iniquities. Your God knows everything there is to know about crushing pressure. And the good news is, is that if he knows all about it, I can trust him that when he gives me a promise, when he gives me a word, it is not some cliche, but it's spoken from the experience. He's been through the valley and he has come out on the other side. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are. He has felt everything that we have felt. He's felt it. He's felt the pressure. I wonder today, what kind of pressure are you under? We could pass the mic and that would be, that might not be encouraging. <laughs> There's financial pressure in this room and online. There's social pressure. What a time right now, right? Like people who don't even know you are pressuring you. 
Social media, like, I, I don't even know you. Um, there, there's emotional pressure, spiritual pressure, physical pressure. Anyone having a hard time with gravity these days? <laughs> I keep fighting back, but here's what I want you to notice. And this is so important that we teach this at our church. Following Jesus does not mean that my pressure is evaporated. Don't get me wrong. Um, not following Jesus can bring some pressure in your life. I, th I think we should teach that, right? I mean, like an undisciplined life, it can bring you some pressure. You wanna live a life of lies? Get ready for some pressure. Sin has a way of creating all sorts of pressure. But what I want you to notice today is that is not the message that we're preaching. That is not the message that we're teaching. That is not the context of the church of Smyrna. Instead, the pressure that this church is facing is not because they have done something wicked. In fact, wickedness is not the reason for their pressure. Instead, the reason for their pressure is faithfulness. Meaning, you can follow Jesus correctly and as you follow Jesus correctly, you're not going to escape pressure. I wonder if we as a church can understand this today, that if we're gonna fulfill the mission he's given us collectively, we all have to take it up individually, and as we step out in faith, we need to understand that pressure is coming our way. When light begins to light up the darkness, the darkness has two options. The darkness can either let the light extinguish and clarify all that it's bringing to the light, that I acknowledge it, I see it, I'm gonna make changes, or, someone say or, or the darkness can fight like hell to extinguish the light. And if we're gonna be a church that's gonna go into the night, we talked about it last week, with the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus, yo, we're gonna have to learn how to have faith under pressure. I need faith under pressure. I need faith to keep going when I feel like quitting. Thomas Torrance of Edinburgh, he said it this way. He said, a church cannot be a true church without causing trouble. That if we're gonna really do what Jesus called us to do, it's gonna bring some trouble into our lives. But you and I, we must come up with some resolve today that we shouldn't take the pressure to personally. It's not you. It's God in you. Look at your neighbor, help me out, and say, neighbor, it's not you, it's God in you. John White, the Canadian psychiatrist, this is really beautiful. This is what he said. He said, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. Watch this. You, someone say you. You personally are of no interest to him. It's only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. Someone say, it's not you. It's God in you. A lot of us, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about the simple idea that if I start serving Jesus, if I start going the narrow road, if I pick up my cross and say, goodbye world, that life is not always just gonna be easy peasy, but sometimes the pressure is going to increase because God is on the inside of me. 
about you. Can I, can, let, me just, let me just talk personally, because it's not you, me. But sometimes when I'm up against opposition, I start complaining to God. They don't like me. They're against me. Huh, huh, huh. I was in my devotion not too long ago and I was reading the story of Samuel. I've been preaching about Samuel to some of our team and to some other places I've been at. And I love the story of Samuel, the first prophet of God who represents God to the people. Ooh, I like his story. But if you remember, he is there in a place of leadership. He has authority over God's people. But remember the story, those of you who know your Bible, they get tired of having a prophet. They get tired of having judges. They want to be like the world. And what do they want? They want a king. Give us a king. We want to be like our enemies. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And Samuel tries to bargain with them. He tries to negotiate with them. They say, no, no, no. We want a king. And I love the story because if you go back to it, first Samuel, I don't know, comes to God. And he says, God, they have rejected me. They've rejected me. They don't want me. And I love God's response. No, Samuel. They have rejected me. Some of y'all need to get a bigger vision today. This is not a message for everybody in this house, but this is a message for some people in this house. The reason why you are undergoing pressure is not because you are wicked, it is because you are faithful. Stand firm, watch God deliver you. Don't you back down, you got faith under pressure. Come on somebody, go ahead and just find some relief as you go ahead and give him praise. Not every bit of pressure is because of my stupidity. Some of my pressure is because I've been faithful. I've been faithful, I've been following Jesus. Do not give up, I know all about your thalipsis. I know all about crushing pressure. Don't quit now. Come on, if you've been hit this many times, at some point you gotta say, man, I know I'm important to God. I just never knew I was this important to the devil. Oh, that's a word for somebody in the house. If it hurts this bad, it must be because you got something great on the inside of you. Maybe rejection is a sign you're headed in the right direction. Maybe opposition increases when you get to the vision and you get closer to the vision. Someone say, I'm under pressure, but he's faithful. He's faithful, he's faithful, he's faithful. I'm under pressure, but he is faithful. Not every time I face pressure does it mean that I've sinned or that I've made a mistake. No, as you study this church, this is only one of the two churches out of the seven that there is no correction made. It's only encouragement. But you could read it and say, that doesn't encourage me because as you read it, Jesus, he does not come to alleviate the pressure. Instead, he comes to prepare the church to persevere through the pressure. Through the pressure. And today, that's, that's what I'm here is, is I wanna remind all of us to prevail and persevere under the pressure. Well, how do, I, how do I persevere under pressure, Rich? I say it this way. The only way that you will persevere under the pressure is when you give your pressure a point. Someone say pressure points. You need some pressure points. 
you need some pressure points. You need some relief. It, it, it won't be removed. You just need, you need some relief to, to keep going. Listen, if I don't give my pressure a point, then my pride will pervert God's purpose. And I use that word on purpose because many of us, we don't know what the definition of the word pervert even is. Pervert is when you begin to take something good and you miscontort it, you misdirect it, you lie about its original intent. Please understand, this is all the devil has ever done. He is not a creator, he is a destroyer. Beware of people in your life who only criticize, who only talk negative, who only destroy. I know the church of Jesus Christ at large today has lots of problems, but listen to me loud and clear. This goes for me and this goes for this house. We will never be church critics. We're gonna be some church builders. Any church builders in the house today? And the enemy perverts truth all around the body of Christ, especially for this generation coming up right now. I don't claim to be a sociologist, but I watch it as I listen to stories. There is an entire generation growing up right now that their pride gets the best of them. This is harder than I thought. Hard? That must mean it's bad. There's no way if God called me to this, it would be this difficult. That is your pride perverting God's purpose for your life. Don't give up, don't quit. Pressure has a point, pressure has a purpose. You ever thought, what if God prefers wine more than he likes grapes? Some of y'all missed that. <laughs> what if God is a wine drinker, not a grape eater? The only way you get wine is you have to crush the grape. But how many y'all know, grapes left to themselves eventually rot and die. But when the grape produces wine, wine has the ability to live on and on and on and on come on somebody you got to give your pressure a point can i just give you two pressure points today they're really really simple they're right here in the text number one everyone say number one I'm trying to teach but i'm really feeling this 6 p.m is going to be ratchet tonight <laughs> Everyone say number one. That's, that's when you know I'm trying to teach. Number one. Everyone say uno. Just want to include everyone. And um, <laughs> number one, the fir first pressure point is this, is that pressure proves. Pr pressure proves. Look at what the scripture says. This is beautiful. Jesus, he says, I, I know all about, I know all about your tribulation and your poverty but you're actually rich. That's that whole idea. There he is in the middle of it. I actually see what's really going on here. You're actually rich. The world won't tell you that. The world smells death. I smell life. And the slander of those that say that they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What's happened here is in the Roman Empire, there are those of Judaism that have actually converted over to just a pagan mentality and they are turning Christians in one by one. 
So he says, I see all of this, these false allegations. I see all this challenge. And here comes the pressure point. Number one, he says, he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. You will have philipsis. You will have crushing pressure. Do not fear what you're about. Someone say what you're about what you're about to suffer. So he's not taking it away. He's preparing them because he's letting them know pressure proves. How many of y'all know a calling that hasn't been tested is a calling that can't be trusted? God tests us at times. We have to go through moments of trials and tribulations to discover, do I even have faith? In fact, let me just say it really clearly. This is not always nice and this is not always sweet, but this is just the truth. You don't really know you have faith until you gotta use your faith. And just like a teacher, they're quiet in moments of testing. Let me tell you, it feels that way when you're going through tribulation. God, where are you? Maybe you're here today and you're doing everything right. You're doing everything with a pure heart. You are following Jesus. You've got energy. You've got orthodoxy. You have Christian love, but you just keep finding opposition after opposition. And every Sunday you come and you're saying, Rich, when am I going to hear the word of the Lord for me right now? Maybe you're not going to get the word you're looking for. Maybe the silence is an indication today that you are being tested. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he is absent. He is with you. And this test is proving your faith. Notice what he says. He says, "Um, get ready. You're about to suffer. They're like, dude, we've already suffered. I I know you didn't come to church today to hear this, but this is just the truth. Sometimes it's got to get worse before it gets better. G.K. Chesterton, he said it this way. He said, If a man, a real man is the man who passes the breaking point and doesn't break. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say that your breaking point usually leads to your breakthrough. It's like, it's like going to the gym. Um, Day one in the gym, some of y'all shouldn't wait for January. You should just pretend this is the new January right now. (laughs) Some of y'all need to get a vision for summer 2023. I'm coming for you. you But day one in the gym, that's difficult. But yo, day two is worse. You ever, you ever work out so hard that like people at your office are like, you okay, man? <laughs> Walking around like, oh, oh, Takes you 45 seconds to get out of your office chair. Like, ah, is it arthritis? Nah, I went to the gym. I started back, you know? It's one thing to work out with fresh muscles. It's another thing after you've worked out the first time and you go back when your muscles have started to be broken down. But any trainer will tell you, it's not about working out one time, it's the compound effect of putting the workouts together that as microfibers are torn in the muscles, they're being broken apart so that they can come back even stronger. And so it is with your pressure. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better, but let your pressure prove your faith. See, I want you to see this. Pressure doesn't just prove my faith, it improves my faith. You gotta see this, it, it improves your faith in Jesus. It burns away all of the counterfeits. It loses all of the false idols. It loses all of the escapism and it focuses you to the source. 
What does Jesus say? He says, you're gonna be thrown into prison. In fact, I read it this week and it encouraged me. He says, Satan's gonna throw you into prison. Anyone like me that whenever you're facing pressure, you always wanna attach that pressure to some person in your life who's causing it? Oh, but Rich, you don't know my boss. Okay. But Rich, you don't know my spouse. You don't know my ex-wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. You don't know my neighbor. I hear you. We've all got interpersonal dynamics, but I believe that the name Satan is used because Jesus is reminding you and I that we are not at war with flesh and blood, but rather this is always more spiritual than we give it credit. It's not your boss who's trying to attack you and bring you pressure. It is the power of Satan himself. Do not wage war in the flesh. Fight back in the spirit. So here are these guys being persecuted under pressure. And Jesus goes, hey, get ready. Get ready. Um, get ready. You're about to suffer. We already are going to increase. Satan's going to throw you in prison. Well, I don't want to go to prison. I know, I know, I know, I know. But listen, it's only going to be for 10 days. Now, when you read this, don't make the mistake. This is not a literal 10 days. This was an expression used in that time period. It just means a short time, a little time. And I don't know about you, but as I grow in Jesus, I want to improve my faith. I don't want to cry about today what I cried about last year. I was on the phone the other day with a friend of mine who's going through a difficult time. And it's not because he's done something bad or something evil. He is just up against serious pressure. He's discouraged and he's hurt. It's funny because I'm, I'm a preacher. And so I don't just preach on platforms. I preach on the phone. And what I've learned in my life is that I am so much, I have the gift to be bold about your pressure, but sometimes I can be destroyed by my pressure. So I'm preaching to my man, you know, I'm just like, I, man, no, you know, I'm just, ah, I'm like, bring the organ in on the phone right now. Like, I'm just, <laughs> and I was preaching to him. And this is what I said to him. I said, bro, I want you right now to predetermine your testimony. This too is going to pass. I say, can you remember what your pressure was one year ago? He said, I, I really can't. I said, well, let that insight create some foresight. One year from today, you ain't gonna remember this battle either. How would you behave right now if I told you whatever pressure, whatever thalipsis you're up against right now, in 10 days, it would be gone? Do you feel like you'd walk out of here a little bit different? You feel like you'd talk a little bit different? Do you feel like the, car, the, the ride in the minivan with your spouse would be a little bit different? Do you feel like you'd be a little bit less offended? Do you think it would change your prayer life? Do you think you would stop complaining probably? Some of us, we need to let our faith be improved. The pressure you faced one year ago was to prove that you have faith. So get some foresight. You're gonna make it through this thing. It's only going to last a little while. It's just a little while. It's just 10 days, it's just 10 days. And you're saying, but Rich, we know that many of them actually died. You're right. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't even give up to the point of death. Why? Because this life in comparison with eternity is just a little while. It's just a little while. It's just a little while. He always refocuses us to the eternal and takes our eyes off the temporary. 
Let the pressure, pressure has to have a point. Why am I going through this? It's got a point. It's proving something. It's proving to myself that I have faith, but it's improving my faith. I'm predetermining my testimony. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna celebrate and worship from the valley. Why? Because worship from the valley sounds different from worship from the mountaintop. Any old person can worship when they finally get their breakthrough. It's another person who's day two in the gym going, oh, it hurts, but I know it's coming. I don't give up. Someone say pressure proves. Pressure point number two, as we close, pressure doesn't just prove, pressure also produces. Pressure produces, he says, be faithful. Pick it up in verse 10, unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus is saying, put a point on your pressure. It doesn't just prove, it it produces. How many of y'all know pressure produces some beautiful things? A diamond is simply um, a coal under pressure. What if I told you, if you're under pressure today, get ready, you're about to shine. Why? Because pressure produces diamonds. Pressure expands our capacity. Pressure produces strength. We don't really know what's in you until we put some weight on you. This pressure is producing something in me. I didn't know I had it. I didn't know I had it. I didn't know it was in me. But I'm grateful for the opposition. I'm grateful for the challenge because it brought something out of me I did not know was even there. Here's Jesus and he says, This pressure is gonna produce my eternal promise. See, if we're not careful, pressure won't produce beautiful things. If we're not careful, pressure will produce brutal things. Because yeah, it produces diamonds, but yo, pressure also produces addiction. Pressure produces affairs. Pressure produces unnecessary conflict. Pressure produces resentment. You say, well, Rich, how do I make sure that my pressure doesn't produce something brutal, it produces something beautiful? I would say very, very simply, you have to stop managing your pressure and you have to start surrendering your pressure. Two totally different things. Two totally different things. One is walking out of here going, I'm the man. I can manage this. The other is, God, if you don't show up, Cast all. Everyone say all. Look up the word all in Greek. Guess what it means? All. (laughs) Cast all your cares upon him. Don't hold back. What's bringing you pressure today? That's the funny thing about pressure. We can't compare it. You don't know about my pressure, and I don't know about your pressure. My pressure is not harder than yours, and yours is not harder than mine. All you know is what you know. And so we surrender all of it. We bring it all to God. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Pressure produces God's promises. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. If you keep running from the trouble, you're going to keep running from His presence. Because it just so happens that when I face trouble, 
that's when God's presence shows up. So God, I'm not trying to manage it. I'm not trying to avoid it. I'm trying to experience you in it. Pressure produces, pressure produces, pressure produces, pressure, it produces, it produces, it produces the promise of God. And what does he say? He says, you will receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? He's really referring to the Roman games where they would put the victor's crown around the athlete. Paul says that we are God's athlete. We're not running a race against each other. We're running a race for God. It's a race of faith. And those that run faithfully shall win the victor's crown. I know it's not like self-help, this is is gospel. Don't give up on Jesus today in your opposition and in your persecution because he says, if you will follow me and be faithful church in Smyrna and church in Miami and church online, you're gonna receive the victor's crown. And then he specifically says, you will not die in the second death. What is the second death? The second death is eternal separation from God. The great preacher E.V. Hill said it this way. He said, those who are born once die twice, but those who are born twice die only once. We're all gonna die. Question here today is, which one of us are gonna live? The world smells death, but the Christians, as we smell myrrh, Something's being reborn. I must be born again. And as I follow Jesus, I must have a clear idea that pressure does not evaporate, but rather Jesus, he prepares me for the pressure. There's many famous martyrs that came out of Smyrna, but the most famous of them all was the Bishop of Smyrna and known as the Bishop of Asia. And his name was Priest Polycarp. And one day they came and they seized this man And they gave him a choice right there. They said, you could either keep worshiping Jesus or you can worship Caesar as God. If you worship Caesar as God, you're off the hook. But if you keep claiming to be a follower of Jesus, you're gonna be burned at the stake. This is what Polycarp was quoted as saying. He said, I fear not the fire that burns for a season. And after a while is quenched. Why do you delay? Come, do your will. And while being martyred for Jesus, he prayed this prayer. I thank thee, thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I may receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ. And he died, persecuted for Jesus. It's called faith under pressure. What's powerful about the church in Smyrna, unlike the other churches, we know that this church, A, was never corrected, but they were only commended, but we know that they actually obeyed the word of Jesus, that they did not give up their faith under pressure. How do we know? Because out of the seven churches, the only one that's still around today is the church of Smyrna, known today as Izmir. And it's a place, even today, it's still robust in Eastern Orthodox Christianity. It's still going today. It's still going today because they kept the faith under pressure. I close with this. In my study at my house, 
I've got this bookshelf and it's got all these books on it. And in the row of books, we have these things called bookends. You've seen this before. It holds all the books together. And today, if you're, if you're facing pressure, if you're facing crushing pressure, because you are doing what's right, not what's easy, I want to remind you of what Jesus said, that Jesus said, I am the first and the last. See, that's what's amazing, is that you, you, you kind of meet Jesus and you think right then when you met Jesus, that's when he starts writing your story. But then you fall for a little while, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. He started writing my story even before I surrendered to him. Then you go a little bit longer, whoa, 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 whoa. He, he started writing my story in my mother's womb where he knit me together in my mother's womb. Then you go a little bit longer, whoa, 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 whoa. He knew me before I was formed. And then we start seeing each other and go, wow, if he did that for me, he did that for you. And wow, 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 he's writing a story. It's a bigger story than my story. All of my pages are in all of his books. And I look at you and go, all of your pages are in one of his books. And together throughout history is his story. All of the books of you and me and the stories of Jesus are on this shelf. But anybody grateful that Jesus is the great bookends? That he holds all of our stories together. He holds them all together. He's not gonna fail you and he's not gonna fail me. Let's be faithful even to the end. It might get worse before it gets better, but I have a calm confidence that he who began a good work in me is gonna carry it out under completion. This God is not done working yet. He's faithful to the end. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, lift your voice. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.